Well, good morning again, and uh, good to see everybody on this Independence Day weekend, and uh, hope you're enjoying it in this uh, beautiful weather and celebrations. And uh, We have the, uh, the joy today of starting a, a brand new sermon series, for the, which we're going to continue through the rest of the summer. We are preaching through the book of Ephesians. So the question is then, why Ephesians and why now? Um, well, I care a lot about these things, the things that we teach and preach in this church, of course. Um, I have a big matrix of everything we've preached over the last 20 years. Which books of the Bible, when did we preach them, and how? And I realized that it's been like 11 years since we preached through Ephesians uh, kind of in, a, in, a, in order. And hey, we're overdue. We need to do this. If you are... Um, now, we've preached Ephesians uh, here and there at different times over the years since then, but to, to really go through this book again, because it is so good. Um, many people, it's, it's one of their favorite books of the Bible. Uh, some of their, if you grew up reading the Bible, maybe there's memory verses that you remember from Ephesians, and it's just great. If you are not familiar with Ephesians, this is going to be good. This is going to be like a delicious feast of of food, God's word, as we as you learn it and grow in it. But for many of you here, I know that you're very familiar with it. The youth ministry uh, finished a, a, a series in the past year as they studied through Ephesians most recently. Our senior link ministry just finished their journey through the book of Ephesians. So I know there's been different folks in the church who have... Um, who have been you know, studying together in some of these small groups. The great thing about going through texts that are familiar to you, and really the beauty of God's word, is that it's living, it's alive, it is ever true. And when we look at familiar words, there's a certain depth to it that you may not get the first time through. So for example, when we, earlier this year, we studied through Ezekiel, not familiar to most, uh, most of us, not one that you grew up memorizing verses from perhaps. Uh, but, it, and I know a lot, a lot of you love, oh, I love when we preach these obscure things because it, it opens it up and I, I learn a lot about that. And that's great. But my guess is that if you read back through Ezekiel, for those of you who studied through that with us, that there'd be uh, things that come to light the second time and the third time through. And, and praise God that his word is like that. It just continues to speak to us as we look at it. But more importantly than just sort of, we haven't preached through this in a while, um, Ephesians right now is particularly important to us because we live in a world where many people and more and more people believe that the greatest good in the world or the the greatest ethic in our world is what we call the ethic of authenticity, meaning Uh, the greatest good in the world is for me to find my true self or my most authentic self. And people who hold this view um, seek to shape their own truth. They seek to shape their own values, to uh, have the autonomy to define what life is and what a good life is and uh, and who I am and my identity and live into that as the greatest value. As people of faith, we do not hold that as the greatest value. We believe that our lives are created by God and that God defines what life is and what the good life is. Um, That we live our lives according to his authority and God's truth as truth. It's not um, 
the notion of, you know, my truth versus your truth. When, when we live in this kind of make up your own truth and make up your own reality world, it becomes very fragile. That's a very fragile view of the world. It's just a very thin thread. But the more we see God's truth and the more we understand it and the more we root ourselves in it, we see that God, the God of the universe, is weaving our lives together with his purposes for life and his work in the world. We also see that God is weaving us to one another and that we are woven together, hence our uh, series title name, that we're woven together with God's story and with with each other, and that is a strong fabric of life as opposed to just this thin thread of just my, you know, my personal beliefs or my um, version of, of what is real. So, I think it's a very important teaching for us to reground ourselves. It's also super practical. How do we live life in unity with other people? How do you live in marriage? How do you live as a child? How do I, how do I live as a worker? How do I live in light of spiritual realities that I can't necessarily see? All this stuff is, we're going to see this in Ephesians. So I'm really looking forward to it. So today, we're just going to take a look at these first verses of this letter. So here we have... The Apostle Paul starting his letter. So it's uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He had planted with some companions. He had planted this church uh, some time before. And he starts it the normal way. He says, you know, from Paul, an apostle, to you know, the Christians in Ephesus, grace and peace to you. And usually what he would write there is, you know, I thank God for you and here's what I'm praying for you. But in this letter he doesn't do this. And what we understand as verses 3 through 14, he goes through this, what in Greek is a massive run-on sentence. It's just one big long sentence, and it's all just this explosion of praise for who God is and what he has done and what our identity is, our core identity in God. And what we see is that our primary identity as people is that we are chosen by God. And in a sense, there's really two ways to view the world. Either that um, you know, I make my own identity or I base my identity and my relationship to a God who made me and the God who chose me. And I want to explore that as we look at this text. So let us pray as we begin. So Father God, we pray for your wisdom. We pray that as we uh, begin this new journey through this, this part of your word, we pray, oh, we thank you, Lord, that it is living and active and true, but we pray that you would use it to shape us, to help us understand who you are, and in light of that, Lord, who we are and what our purpose is in this world. Lord, help us to reground ourselves um, over these number of weeks in your truth, Lord, and may that start right now as we give ourselves to you, as we seek your wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So i got to break up this uh, big run-on sentence. Of course, in, in the English translation, there's punctuation that can be helpful. Uh, but we're, we're gonna just, I'm going to look at it as all of who God is uh, choosing you. So all of who God is is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I want to look in those kind of three uh, aspects of who God is and to to break this up a little bit. So let's start with God the Father. So God the Father is the source of this. Look at verse 3. He's the one who chooses us. 
So verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So the blessings that we receive from God are primarily spiritual. Now, in the Old Testament, God's blessings were, were often promised as material blessings. God said, I'm going, to put, I'm going to bless you with land. I'm going to bless you with children and, and many offspring, the big family. I'm going to bless you with cattle. I'm going to bless you with political influence over the nations around you. There was all these material blessings. But in Jesus Christ, we see that the blessings of God are primarily, not that we don't experience or that we can't experience a material blessing. We primarily experience spiritual blessing, knowledge of God, knowledge of God's way, forgiveness of our sins, our status as God's children. All of these things are, are just beautiful blessings of God to us. And the, the main blessing is this, verse 4. God chose us. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Your primary identity is chosen by God, predestined to be his child. Now, whenever we start talking about God choosing and God God's, you know, this notion of predestination, it raises up a lot of questions. Say, wait a minute, you're saying God chose me before the beginning of time. Yes, that's true. But you say, but I chose God. I chose to put my faith in God. I chose to turn to God. I say, yes, that is also true. Both of those things are true, and that really hangs people up. It, it, it doesn't seem to make logical sense. How can God be sovereign, and yet I have... I seem to have this free will, and people get really hung up on this. If you've studied scripture, if you've been in a small group before, I'm sure this question has come up. You're not the first one to find this tension between the sovereignty of God and the human will, we'll call it. In fact, people ask me all the time this kind of question in a number of different ways. I had someone this year text me a question, said, Pastor, I have a quick question, and then laid out the question was essentially, you know, how do we understand God's sovereignty and human free will? And I wrote the person back and said, look, it's good to hear from you. My thumbs will fall off if I, via text message, try to answer this question. This is a quick question. There's been oceans of ink spilled on this, uh, this question. So let me give you a few thoughts. To I'm not going to untangle it all right now, but let me give you a few thoughts. One, this notion of God's sovereignty is not something that we made up. It's not um, a doctrine of the church that we've formulated. This is how God has revealed himself. God has revealed himself to the world as a choosing God. God is in the process of restoring a broken world. And he says to a man named Abraham, you know, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the whole world through you and your offspring. Why? Because God chose him to be a blessing to the world. And God reminded the nation of Israel, essentially the descendants of Abraham. God reminded them again and again, of all the nations of the world, I chose you to, to be a light, to be a blessing, to reveal myself to the world through you. 
It wasn't because they were so great. It's because God is a choosing God. And here, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we see the same thing. God has chose you to be part of his work. You'll also notice in Scripture that this language of choosing is only for people of faith. So, again, this Ephesian church, God chose you. You know, the nation of Israel, God chose you. But when, when the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus and he was teaching them, he reminded them, and again, we just looked at this passage a few weeks ago, Acts chapter 20, he said, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So the same person to the same people taught them you need to turn from your sin and you need to put your faith in God through what Jesus has done. He told them they needed to do that. So that feels very much like human decision. And then he, a short time later, writes them this letter and said, God chose you there. And both those things are true without contradiction. But you hear people tell their stories like this as well. If somebody's sharing their story of faith, they might say, well, you know, I was in a, um, I made some, I made terrible choices in my life. I was, I was addicted. I had broken relationships. I was, I was in a, it was in deep despair. I brought myself to this really low place. And it was at that rock bottom point that I called out to God. And I sought God and he was there. And I, I turned to him in faith and I, I put my trust in him and I turned from my way and I decided to follow God's way. And, and I've been on this path of following God. That same person could tell the same story, say 20 years later, they're looking back at their life and they say, you know what? God brought me to a very low point. God put me in that rock bottom place so that he could show me himself. And he revealed himself to me and he pulled me out of that pit. And he gave me a new life and forgiveness and in a new way and empowered me to follow him. You see, it's the same story. It seems over time that we see that as we put our faith in God, as we follow him, as we make decisions, we see that God is working out his greater purposes and that God is indeed in control. What happens... My uh, predecessor, Pastor Jack, he used to describe it like this. He said, um, human decision and God's sovereignty is like an arch, and it fits perfectly together. But if you push too far one way, and you push too much on God's sovereignty, it becomes kind of fatalistic, and it, it all falls over. And if, if you put it all on human decision, you know, it pushes over the other way. He said they exist as, a, as an arch in perfect harmony. And, that, and that's a, maybe a helpful way to, to describe this. What happens is we get into these debates about how could this possibly exist, and we miss the beauty of the arch. We miss out on the high calling and the privilege and the blessing that it is to be chosen by God. I mean, look at verse 4. It's, you know, that we are chosen so that we could be holy and blameless. That God chose me doesn't mean I could just live however I want. It actually pushes me towards what is truly good and truly right. In verse 5, the privilege, the high, the high calling of our choosing is that we are chosen and predestined to be adopted as God's children. Adoption is so beautiful for families that have adopted in this church and for individuals who have been adopted. You know the beauty of adoption and how wonderful it is to be brought in fully into a family. And, and as we prayed, you know, we, we want to... Um, 
Christians to, to rise up and embrace the notion of fostering and adopting and how beautiful that is. And as people of faith, we should, of all people, have such a high view of adoption because that's our status, adopted by God's choosing into his family. It's just a beautiful image. And that's what God does for us. He chooses us. And yes, that creates some mystery around how is that, but God chooses us. That's God the Father. Now, God the Son, this is how God chooses us. This is how God accomplishes that. It's in Jesus. So verse 7, in him, that's Jesus, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Two words I want to key in there, redemption and grace in verse 7. Redemption, that you were bought back, you were purchased at a price. God's choosing you was costly. When he chose you, he had to pay for your life. And he came to this world, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life in your place. And he gave his life and poured out his blood on the cross that we could be forgiven of our sins. He took that punishment that we deserved that we can receive his grace. He did that in our place. He, he traded us. He, he redeemed us. God's choosing you was very costly, but God choosing you was also very free for you. It's, it's in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's not because you did anything good to be chosen that you accomplished something. You know, scripture is clear that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because we did anything so great. In fact, God chose you before the foundation of the earth to, that he was going to do this, that he was going to redeem you. Uh, the famous evangelist D.L. Moody said, I'm glad God chose me before I was born because I don't think he would have chose me after I lived my life. Therefore, this notion of being chosen by God is not arrogant. Because I'm not any better than anyone else. It's only because of God's grace. Therefore, we have great humility. I didn't deserve for God to choose me, but he did. And he's called me to be his own. And it was a very costly thing that he did for me. Therefore, your life has extreme value and purpose. Look at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect, verse 10, when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things on heaven and earth under Christ. What this says is that you are part of God's big story, that the world we live in isn't just, oh, figure out what it means for you and what is true to you and kind of pick your own authentic path. That's a cute idea, but what God says is, no, this world is on a specific trajectory. And I'm calling you to be part of God's redeeming work to take a world that is broken in sin and make it whole and redeemed, fully redeemed and perfect. All things unified in heaven and earth under Jesus. That is the trajectory of history and you are now called to be part of it. Your life, therefore, has purpose. Specifically, I just want to say, if you're here today and you feel despair in your life, you say, my, my life does not have purpose. Um, I, I feel lost. I'm just wandering. I want you to know that God's invitation is to have purpose and meaning, to be part of his plan for the world. You don't have to invent it. God is calling you to be part of it. Your life can have purpose. So God the Father chooses 
God the Son, Jesus, you know, provides the, the payment, the redemption. And lastly, God the Holy Spirit is the sign of God's choosing, that we're sealed with the Spirit. Verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The, the Holy Spirit was given to you as a, as a down payment, as a sign of a promise, like an engagement ring. It's a busy wedding season for me right now. I think I have five or six weddings this year. It's fantastic. Because I get to talk to these couples, and they're so excited. And I get this, how did you guys meet? How did you get to the point you want to get married? How did the proposal go? And there's always a ring, and she's staring at it and fidgeting with it because it's new and getting caught on a sweater. and the, It's just, it's the cutest thing. And it's, it really is a beautiful thing. It's a sign of a promise. That, hey, we're going we're gonna to be married. We're, gonna, we're two become one. And here's a sign of that promise. And for us, the, the sign of God's promise to us is here's my spirit living with you now so that you know that this is all going to be fulfilled someday. Jesus said, when I leave, my spirit is going to come and show you what is true. And you're going to know it. And you're going to be part of, you know, the spirit is going to guide you to truly live into this great work that God is doing in the world. You You can be part of it. And the Holy Spirit is that sign of that promise. So what is, my, what is truly my identity in God as a person of faith that God has chosen me? God the Father chose me. God the Son made it, purchased, made it possible that I could be purchased and made God's own, adopted as his child, and the Spirit is the sign of that promise. So what do we do with this? Because this can feel very theoretical, and it actually is in some ways intentionally so, because the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, and he's telling them who they are, so that later in the letter, you, you can understand how to live in light of that. You actually have to understand Ephesians 1 before you can start, you know, well, 1 and 2 and 3, before you can really live out, you know, 4, 5, and 6. It helps us to keep the first things first. It helps us to, tomorrow you can wake up and live with your primary identity, we don't start our faith with, you know, what, is, what does God uh, want me to do or what can I do for God? The first question is, what has God done for me? That God has created me and he has called me to be his own. God has chosen me. And it's, it's for his, why? Because I'm so good? No, because he's so good. Because it was his will and his desire. And so we, we carry that with us everywhere. So this time tomorrow, you can live in light of the fact that you are God's possession. Um, so if you ever feel excluded or rejected, you know, anything that makes you feel like an outsider, you can remember, I am a chosen person by God. You know, maybe tomorrow, tomorrow's a holiday, of course, I hope you're not working. But maybe, you're, maybe you'll be alone. Maybe you smell all your neighbors grilling and um, playing yard games and having a great time, and you're all by yourself. You say, I, nobody loves me. I'm rejected. You say, no, I'm chosen by God. I am his. I, I'm not, and I'm never alone because his spirit is with me. 
or whatever it is, whatever it is that makes you feel like an outsider or an outcast, you are chosen by God. If anything in your life causes you to feel despair or just deep disappointment, hey, I've, I have failed, I've, I've made poor decisions, I have, I'm not where I want to be in my life, I'm not where other people are in their life, I feel behind, I, I'm just not going anywhere, remembering God has a great plan, he's called you to be part of it, therefore your life genuinely has purpose. God is in control. You're not some second best thing that you are, uh, as you put your faith in God, you are living into that, regardless of the mistakes of your past, because his grace is sufficient, is abundant. But not just for yourself. Your posture towards other people in your life can be changed because you believe that God has chosen you. You're going to go about your day. You're going to notice that people, many people, are just aimless. They're trying to find their truest self and they're trying to define what life is and what the, what the good life is. And you can see how untethered they are and how, um, how lost people are. You could pray for those people. You can seek God on, be, on their behalf and say, God, please take the, you change these lives. And you do it with great humility because you are a chosen person, not because you are a choice person. Because you're just someone who God has chosen. The biggest questions of life is, who am I? Where do I fit in? And what purpose does it have? We are chosen by God. That is your primary identity. You belong to him. You are his child. And that gives amazing purpose because you're part of his work in the world. Let us pray. Father, we just we see the, the brokenness in, in the many different ways that it shows itself in our world. People who are trying to uh, define life and meaning on their own terms. And Lord, if we're honest, there's probably times when we do that ourselves. Lord, reground us this day to remember who we are, created by you, loved by you, redeemed by you, your children. Lord, help us to live every day and go about all that we do in light of that truth, our truest identity as your children. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ who made it all possible. Amen.